0: All right. Good morning. Um, so, you guys got to see my beautiful wife, Sarah, up here earlier. <coughs> I forced her to come give announcements today Whoa. and uh, getting all choked up, she's just so beautiful. <coughs> but um, one of the, the things I remember when I first started dating Sarah. And this is actually before we started dating. I was like, I wanted to spend all the time, like all the time I had, I was spending with her. Um, you know, I would make up excuses to see her. I would bring Starbucks over to her dorm. We both went to U of A. And so, like every day, there, I, I came up with some excuse, some reason to go see her. And uh, I liked her. She liked me. It was getting towards the end of the school year. And during the summer, I was actually going on a, a four-week mission trip to Guatemala. And so, um, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go on this mission trip, like, we'll see what happens. I go on this mission trip, and um, I realize that I really like this girl, because I'm missing her, I'm thinking about her, like, I just want to be with her. And so, as I'm on, I'm on this mission trip, I realize, like, okay, I, I, want, I want this girl to be my girlfriend. Um, and I, I felt like, okay, she probably wants the same thing. Um, And so on this mission trip, this is a silly thing I did. I don't know why. I thought this was a good idea. I bought this huge knife from Guatemala, like a big, you know, 20-inch, like basically machete. And um, I talked a guy down, got a real good deal on it. And I, on that knife, wrote, will you be my girlfriend? And I thought, cool, like I'll bring this back and, uh, you know, she'll be my girlfriend. I, I didn't even realize that that sounded threatening until <laughs> I told this story last service, and people were like, did she think, like, if you don't. You know, I was like, oh, I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. So, I, I get this knife, um, I get on the plane to go back, you know, I, I didn't take in my carry-on, don't worry. And uh, the whole time, I'm just like so anxious, this nervous energy, just to go, like, I just wanna be with her, I just wanna be with her. Uh, flying to Houston and then to Phoenix. And she's in Tucson at the time. And so, like, pretty much immediately, I get in the car, and I'm like, I got to go see her. Like, I I just want to be with her. I just want to see her. Um, I drive down to Tucson. I give her the knife. You know, she's like, oh, cool. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yeah, let's, yeah, be boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, You know, define that relationship a little bit. And I remember that year, like, I just want, I just constantly wanted to be around her. Like, it, we didn't have to plan these elaborate dates. Um, we didn't have to do all this fun stuff. Like, I just wanted to be with her. Like, I don't know if you felt that, like, at the beginning of a relationship, where you just want to spend, like, all your time together, right? Like, every, every moment I had free I was like, ah, oh, I, I, I want to spend time with her. This week, as we uh, continue on in Exodus, we come to Exodus 25. Um, and in Exodus 25... God reveals the plans for the tabernacle, and the tabernacle, its main goal, its main uh, job was so that God could be with his people. God wanted to be with his people, in that same way that I was like, I just, I don't want to be with her, I want to be with her. God wants to be with us, and so before we jump into it, I'm going to pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. God, would you just uh, illuminate this text this morning as we open it? In your name we pray. Amen. All right, just a quick background, quick catch-up to where we are now. Um, The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sends Moses uh, and delivers the Israelites out of slavery into freedom through the Red Sea. They get to the desert, and that's when things start to get a little more difficult. The grumbling starts, the complaining starts, right? They run out of food, and, but God shows up and he provides for them with the manna and the quail. And they run out of water and God shows up and he provides for them. And they, they get into this battle with another army and God shows up and he gives them victory. Uh, they make it all the way to Mount Sinai. Uh, and we talked about last week where God gave them the 10 Commandments and how these 10 Commandments are good and meant to lead to life and, and to fulfillment. Um, and here, in the next three chapters, basically 21, 22, 23, uh, it's more law. It's it's basically expansion on the Ten Commandments. So, this, I talked about this last week, this was the case law that kind of applies to the Ten Commandments. There's, there's just more circumstances in which uh, God is giving us law for our good to help this society function. And so uh, we come up to Exodus 25, and you begin to get these very, very detailed and specific instructions. And these very, very detailed and specific instructions are details on how to build a tent. Now, if you have uh, done the Bible reading in a year plan ever in your life, this this is probably one of the spots where a lot of people fall off. Because this is, is wildly specific. Uh, it's chapter after chapter after chapter of God telling Moses exactly how long things should be and how big things should be and uh, what materials he should use. But God is specific here in the building of this tabernacle because he wants to communicate something to us. Um, in the same way that our houses communicate Uh, something about who we are to others, right? My mother-in-law, when we moved from Tucson to Phoenix, she sold our house. And uh, one of the things that she told us to do was to kind of get rid of everything in the house, take everything down in the house that made it our home. Right? And so it was like we took all the pictures of our kids off the wall, and we took all the, you know, the toys out. Well, we didn't have kids back then, so we just took all our pictures of us off the wall. We took all the, the junk out, all the clutter, you know, all the things that made it feel like our home we removed so that people could come in and look around and picture themselves living here. right? And um, the, the fact is now, if you would come over to our house, you could learn things about us. Um, like, if you came over to our house now, you would see pictures of our kids on the wall. You would see we have three, uh, three boys, and we're crazy about them because their pictures are everywhere. Um, you would probably also see that we are Christians because you would probably find a Bible here and there, and you would see some scripture on the wall. Um, You could probably take a peek in our pantry and see that we don't eat super healthy, right? You can see that my kids love mac and cheese. We have the Costco pack of it in our pantry. So there's different things you could learn about us just by being in our home. And I think the same is true with God's house, this tabernacle that he commands his people to build. We can learn things about him through this place. Um, And so in this tabernacle, just to give you Uh, a quick outline of what it looks like so you don't have to to read the entirety of it. Um, Luckily, someone did it for us and made a picture. And so there's really three sections to this tabernacle. There's the outer courtyard, there's the holy place, and then within the holy place, there's the most holy place, or the holy of holies, right? And so uh, in these uh, there, this entire, in its entirety, this thing is about 10,000 square feet, so it's big, right? Um, we at Desert City had to do setup and teardown for years and years and years um, at a middle school and an elementary school, and even when I was in high school, I was on the setup and teardown team. And I got to be honest, I started hating setup and teardown, setup. And tear down. It was the same thing every single week. It was very monotonous. There there was something there was some camaraderie in it. Like there's something cool about the camaraderie of it. But man, I would I would complain. It was so hot outside and we would be carrying these heavy things and putting them in a trailer and it's hot. But the setup and teardown that we had to do is nothing compared to this. Because remember, this this uh, tabernacle is is meant to be moved. Like, it goes with the people. And so they set it up, and they tear it down. And they set it up, and they tear it down. And this is a big job. And a specific group of people are the set-up and tear-down team. Like, they're the only ones who are allowed to touch the thing. Um, and th- that's their job, is to do set-up and tear-down. So that's a sacred task. If you were ever part of a set-up and tear-down team, that is a priestly, sacred task. <laughs> All right? So there's, there's three different zones. And as you move in... Um, these zones get, I'll say the word, fancier. They get nicer and nicer, okay? So there's this outer courtyard, and in this outer courtyard, you'll see things like the laver, which is like a basin to wash in, or this altar of burnt offerings. And the things in there, they're, they're made of bronze. And so you come into this courtyard, it's nice. There's this bronze, you know, bronze is expensive, and um, the the outer walls are made of uh, this cloth. But as you move in next to the holy place, it gets nicer. Like now the materials being used are fancier. It gets, um, the, the, you know, the cloth that's being used is more rare. They're using different colors now. And then even more so as you move into the holy of holies, the materials get even better. They're more fancy. This gold-covered ark. And within uh, the holy of holies, that's where the ark was, And the Ark of the Covenant uh, had the Ten Commandments, it had Aaron's staff in it, it had uh, the manna to remind the people that God provides. Um, There was all this stuff in the Ark, and on top of the Ark was uh, this top called the mercy seat. And the idea was that God's presence resided in this holy of holies. And not only did it get fancier and fancier as you moved in, not only did the materials used get nicer and nicer, But less and less people were allowed closer and closer to this ark, to this holy of holies, this most holy place. In the outer courtyard, the Israelites were allowed to be there. They would come in and um, they were allowed to offer sacrifices. But only priests, only the Levite priests were allowed into the holy place. And that's where they would do their priestly duties day after day. But only the, the high priest was allowed into the most holy place into this holy of holies, and he was only allowed in one day a year. And on that day it was the Day of Atonement. He would go in, actually twice on that day, once to offer a uh, sacrifice for himself and once to offer sacrifice for the people, and he would go in there and he would sprinkle blood on uh, this mercy seat. And the idea was that this sacrifice, this blood, was offered up for the sins of the people. And so uh, this whole experience of the, the ark, this whole experience um, of this uh, tent that they were supposed to build was meant to draw people to the fact that God is valuable, that God is holy, that God is set apart, that he's grand, he's other, he's, he's holier than us. And so as you move closer and closer in, you would feel that, that this is like, whoa, this is getting nice, this is getting, great. Like, this is, I don't know if you've ever been to a house that's just like blows your mind. Um, my parents, my dad's friends with this guy who is, is pretty wealthy, he's like, has got multiple jets wealthy, and he had this house in California that my parents stayed at for a while, and um, it, it's like just a monster mansion, and I went to visit my parents while they were at this house, and you walk in, and you, immediately, it's like the two staircase thing is happening. You walk in, and you're like, this is nuts. Like, this is wow. Like, it, it's, there's, it's awe-inspiring. You walk into the dining room, there's like this 40-foot-long solid wood table made out of, like, walnut and salt. I was like, you know, as a woodworker, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, you know, just taking it all in. But just this awe that it's just awe-inspiring to see. And this is what the the tabernacle is meant to do, it's meant to inspire awe, it's meant to show us a little bit of God's holiness, his set-apartness, his otherness. But uh, there's actually entire books that are written on all the stuff that's within this tabernacle, all the stuff and the meaning behind it and the lampstand and uh, the the altar of incense and the table of bread and all these things, they have these different meanings. we're not going to get into all of those meetings today, because that would take a long time. And I think that the main thing that's being communicated through the tabernacle is that God wants to be with his people. This is, what it, uh, this is really the question that the Israelites have been asking all along. Right? At the very beginning, when, when God meets with Moses in the burning bush, he tells Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And then he fulfills that promise every step of the way. When, they're, uh, when Pharaoh's army is coming to them at the Red Sea, the people are wondering, is God going to be with us? Is he going, what's going to happen? Is God going, and God fulfills that promise. He's with them. He delivers them. When they run out of food, God shows up. He's with them. He delivers them. When they run out of water and God tells Moses to go strike a rock and water comes out of that rock, God is with them. In that story uh, where, where Moses strikes the rock, Exodus 17, 7, it says that Moses called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They had this question over and over. Is God with us? Is God among us? And this question is answered in the tabernacle. At the very beginning of these directions for the tabernacle, in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says this. This is God speaking. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The purpose of the tabernacle is that so that God can dwell with his people. At the very end of all the directions, in Exodus 29, uh, verse 45, it says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. He's wanting them to know two things, that he's their God and he's going to be with them. He's pitching his tent right in the middle of their encampment. God desires to dwell with them. He desires to give them his presence. This is what he's been communicating since the beginning of Exodus, that he's gonna be with with us. This is even what tabernacle means. Tabernacle means tent of meeting. It's the place where God would meet with his people. And I think when we talk about the presence of God, uh, it can be confusing. Because there's really two types uh, of the presence of God. right? Because God is omnipresent, and so, which means he is everywhere at once. There's nowhere that God is not. There's nowhere you could go that God couldn't go, there, that, that God is not there, right? So, God is the whole domain of the earth is God. Everything is God's. But there's these times where the, the manifold presence, the special presence of God is poured out. And there's this heightened experience of God, there's this awareness of God that's just a little different. This happens in Genesis 28 um, with Jacob. Jacob, uh, you know, he steals the blessing from his brother Esau. He runs away, and he has this dream. And in his dream, he dreams of, like, this stairway to heaven. I don't know if you know the song. Uh, He dreams of the stairway to heaven with these angels going up and down, and God speaks to him in this dream. And it says that when he wakes up in Genesis 28, 16, it says that Jacob awoke from this sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. See, he's not saying God is here just like he's everywhere. There's this special presence of God in this place. And he's saying, God, this something crazy happened here. This is special, a special presence of God. This place is set apart. And God actually tells us to seek his presence throughout scripture. In Psalm 105.4, it says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. We're supposed to go, go after God's presence. And Now, I think we need to be careful here, though. Because when we're going after the presence of God, we're not merely chasing a feeling, right? The presence of God will surely give us a warm feeling, right? The presence of God Will, will surely give us a peace that surpasses understanding, but we're not chasing a feeling when, we, when we're when we going after the presence of God. Our experiences of God need to be rooted in the, the truth of God through his word. And so, it's I think the Bible, though, clearly tells us it's good to have a desire to have experiences with God, that it's not just a cerebral thing that I come to this knowledge of, but I actually can experience him, right? But I want to be careful because this is not something that we can manipulate or control. Um, This is not like a video game cheat code, like up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B. Like That's not going to do it. You can't just put in the right things, the right combination of things, and boom, I get the presence of God. But I think what we can do, and I think what the Bible encourages us to do, is to live in such a way that we are placed under the fountain, the flow of God's presence, Right? If you think about rain, for example, if you want to be rained on, where's one place you would not go? Inside. Right? If you want to get rained on, the first thing you have to do is go outside. Now, there's also places outside that you could go that you're more likely to get rained on, right? Arizona is not a great place to come if you want to get rained on. But if you want to, you might go to Seattle. You've got a better chance of getting rained on there, right? We don't control the rain. I'm, we're not making it rain, but we're placing ourselves in a place we're putting ourselves in an area where the rain is more likely to fall. And I think this is what scripture calls us to do with the presence of God, to place ourselves under the faucet. And I think one of the ways we do that is through confession and repentance. Acts 3.19 tells us to repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's something special that happens when we confess and repent that the presence of God shows up. Right? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was trimming the, the hedges of my house. This big vine, and I couldn't reach this one area where the vine was, and so I've got this big, you know, 40 volt Ryobi right, hedge trimmer, and I'm I'm trimming the hedges and I can't get this one thought, so I just grab it with my hand, and start cutting with this hand, and all of a sudden it all just falls and my hand hits the, the hedge trimmer, and immediately I grab my finger because blood starts shooting out, right? I don't know if you've ever hurt yourself really bad, but one of the things that I think is really typical when you hurt yourself really bad is like you don't want to look at it, right? There's like something intrinsic in, in us that's like I, don't, I, don't, I can't see it. I don't want to look at it. I don't, I don't want to know how bad it is, right? I go inside and I tell Sarah like, we're probably going to the hospital. I don't, you know, and she's like, well, let's look at it. And I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that. Like, uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a baby. And so this, this is what confession is, is it's owning up to reality. It's taking a look at the cut. It's saying, okay, how deep is this? And when we do that, that's when healing can take place. So uh, the Bible also talks about how when we take things from darkness and pu- put it into the light, that the darkness no longer has power over it, right? And so when we confess, when we repent, what we're doing is we bring these things into the light. Now, in the church in 2023, there's not a lot of confession happening, right? It's not super popular in the church in 2023, especially confession corporately to one another. But it's important, and I think it, it d- draws us into the presence of God, the second thing I really think draws us into the presence of God is when we sing to him. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but when we use the very breath that God gave us and return that breath to him in worship, like that's where our soul finds its home. Psalm 95, verse 1, says, "'O come, let us sing to the Lord. "'Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. "'Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving.'" Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. This idea of coming into the presence of God through singing, through thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. I think when we sing to God, when we worship, uh, something happens between the head and the heart. Like this information gets moved into our heart when we sing. It's, it's something that positions us under this faucet of God's presence. Um, this, one of the things I love about youth ministry is camp. And at camp, kids, the thing I love about camp is kids have this experience of God. They, they, they feel God's presence in a way that they don't normally feel God's presence. And we, I'll tell you this. We do not manipulate emotions. We don't do any of that. But every time we go on a camp, God, kids will say, like, I just wish it was like this at home. Like, I, I just wish I, I, I had this connection with God at home. Like, I, I just wish I felt his presence like this at home. And Jacob and I were actually talking about this, and, you know, we were joking. We were like, oh, you know, maybe it has to do something with the fact that you don't have your phones You're constantly surrounded by other believers. You're spending two, three times a day worshiping with other believers. You're in the word every single day. Like all these things put us under the faucet of God's presence. And so um, this doesn't guarantee anything, but man, I, I think this is what the Bible calls us to do, to live like this and to seek after the presence of God. Because I think the real issue is do we, do we even desire God's presence? Do we even desire more of God? Do we come expecting to meet with God, come excited to be with God? So I think there's, with any relationship, uh, a complacency or an indifference can start to set in, right? Like, you know, I, I was just telling you the story of how I just, all I wanted to do was spend time with my wife. I just want to spend time with my wife, right? Right? But what can happen is like indifference and complacency can set in in a marriage. And and so it's something that we need to be woken up to. It's something that we need to pay attention to. Like, where have I become complacent? Where have I become indifferent? The Bible talks about the same thing with our relationship with the the Lord. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32, it says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Romans 12 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Like, don't lose this passion. Don't lose this zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. In Romans 3, John is writing to this church and he tells them to wake up. Like, you've fallen asleep, you need to wake up. I think the question for us is do we have a desire for more of God? I I, I think I need to even ask myself that too. Do I have a desire to just have more of God? Paul, in all his letters, he, he prays for the people that he's writing to. And in all his letters, he's praying for these people. He never prays for a change in their circumstance. He prays that they would become aware of the presence of God, that they would be strengthened by the presence of God, that that God would be with them, right? Because he knows something. He knows that circumstances come and go, things change, but the presence of God in the midst of circumstances changes everything. The tabernacle shows us that God wants to be with you and I. I think we need to ask the question, is this just like another Sunday where I show up Or do I show up expecting God to do something? Do I expect to meet with God and be in his presence? See, from the very beginning, God has been communicating this throughout scripture, that he wants to be with us. From the very beginning, in Eden, God created Eden and he created uh, man and woman, he created Adam and Eve. And what does he do with Adam and Eve in the garden? He meets with them. He walks with them in the cool of the day, it says. They're just with God. God. They enjoy being with God. And then they break that relationship through sin, through eating of the fruit of the tree that they're told not to eat from. And they're sent out of the garden. There's this book that um, we read to our kids called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. It's it's an awesome book. you You should read it sometime. But in that book, it talks about how uh, Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden and there's these um, angels, these cherubim that are placed at the entrance of the garden. The Bible also talks about this too. Uh, but these cherubim are placed at the entrance of the garden. And the book says that these, these angels are like a big keep out sign. And it says, because of your sin, you can't come in. Right? So because of our sin, we are separated from God. Because of Adam and Eve, they sin, they're separated from God and these angels are put there as a, as a reminder that you cannot come in. Well, God wants to be with his people still. He still wants to be with his people. And so what does he do? He gives them the tabernacle, a place where he can dwell in the midst of his people, a place where he can be with his people. But still in the tabernacle, separating them from the Holy of Holies is this curtain. There's this thick, four-inch-thick curtain that separates them from the presence of, of God, and stitched onto that curtain, what it talks about in Exodus, is that stitched onto that curtain are the images of these very same angels, these cherubim. And it's again communicating that God wants to be with you, but because of our sin, we can't, we don't have access. We can't go in. It's another big keep out sign. Then, uh, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, in chapter one, at the very beginning, it tells us that the Word, Jesus. Became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us, it, 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 what it literally is saying is the, Jesus became flesh and tabernacled with us because he wanted to be with us. That's why we, on Christmas, we sing about Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with us. And then on the cross, Mark uh, chapter 15 verse 37. It says that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain that separated us from God, this curtain that was the big keep outside because of our sin, we can't go in. When Jesus dies on the cross, it is torn from top to bottom. See, the, the tabernacle was God's glory concealed, but Jesus is God's glory revealed to us. See, the separation now is over. The price has been paid. This curtain that separated us is completely destroyed. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. See, God's Presence is made available to us because of the broken body of Christ on the cross. We can boldly approach the throne of God only because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And, and it's not only available once a year, like it was to the high priest, it's, it's available 24 7, 365. We can come directly to the presence of God, we can come directly into his presence. The Bible actually even takes it one step further. In 1 Corinthians 3, Verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. He says, Look, you are now becoming the tabernacle. You're becoming the place where God dwells. Right? Where was the tabernacle? Was the tent of meeting, the place where people met with God. And the Bible is saying that we are now this tent of meeting. That we are now this place where people can meet with God. See the church, this is what it says here, this is a plural you when it says you are that temple, it's not saying one of you. It's saying you, you all you like Texas y'all. Right? This is y'all are that temple. And and the church, not the building but the people become the place where others can encounter the very presence of God. Because of the Holy Spirit put in us that other people experience the presence of God through us now. We are the new tabernacle where Jesus dwells, where the Holy Spirit dwells. So we together bring God's presence to a world that desperately needs it. That's that's who we are. That's what we're called to do. And we are able to do that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. As the, the band comes back up here and we're going to um, sing one more song, uh, we're actually going to sing a song about God's presence, about encountering his presence, wanting to, to be in his presence. And, and this morning, I, I want to ask the question, do we want more of God? Do we want more of God's presence? See, Paul, when he was praying, he doesn't use prayer as a tool to get stuff from God. He used prayer as a tool to get more of God. So often I use prayer as a way to get things from God. Prayer was always meant to be a way to get more of God himself. Is that something our hearts desire? I think that's something we need to ask ourselves. And then whatever the answer is, we can lay it at God's feet. He has made the way open. He wants to be with us. Let's remember that as we sing this last song. Lord, we thank you that you have torn the curtain from top to bottom, that the way has been paved, that you desire to be with us, that you desire to give us your presence, that in Christ you have poured out your Holy Spirit into us. God, help us to be the place where others now encounter you. Lord, would you light that fire for the desire of just more and more of you. In your name we pray. Amen.